When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Oh, this is Dr. Grande. Today I have a few different questions related to deception and personality. What are the characteristics of a credible liar? What are some strategies that can be used to figure out if somebody is a liar? And what personality profile is associated with deception and detecting deception? So kind of an interesting thing happened as I was considering how to structure this video in terms of the questions. Some of the questions I received were, how can I be an incredible liar? And how can I be an unbelievable liar, right? So this gets into an interesting area because incredible means not credible. But another definition would be amazing. And in a sense, the same thing happens with the word unbelievable. Unbelievable means something that cannot be believed. And it also means amazing. So there are a lot of words that mean amazing. So in terms of how to be an amazing liar, that question has a clear direction to it. But how to be an incredible liar or an unbelievable liar really depends on what you mean by incredible or unbelievable. Of course, I assume that most people mean amazing. And that's how I took the question. But it's just interesting to think about those two definitions of like incredible, for example, and how in this situation, they kind of mean the opposite thing, right? You have not credible, a not believable liar versus a proficient liar. So either way, I found that interesting. But moving on, we see research has repeatedly demonstrated that people are not good at detecting lies, even though members of certain professions overestimate their ability to detect lies on a regular basis. For example, research indicates that police officers, judges, and mental health professionals believe they have superior abilities for detecting lies, even though their ability level is the same as the general population. The overall accuracy of lie detecting is only slightly better than chance, 54%, compared to, of course, 50%. Some studies show that people aren't even that accurate in detecting lies not even up to the 54% level. As it turns out, the ability to detect lies actually has little to do with the person trying to detect the lies. It has much more to do with the quality of the person who is lying. Now, the average number of lies told per person per day is between one and two, but the average doesn't really give you a good idea of the distribution. The majority of lies are told by a small number of prolific deceivers. So a very few people tell the vast majority of lies. 
Another issue when it comes to deception is the nature of the lie itself. Lies rest on a continuum, in a sense, from less severe to more severe. On the less severe side, we see the white lie, used to facilitate social situations, like telling somebody their hideous shoes look good on them, or you think their recent purchase of an expensive automobile was a smart move, even though their financial situation doesn't warrant that type of purchase. Moving across the continuum over to the more severe end, we see exaggerations, concealments, embedded lies, and then fabrications, the most serious type of lie. Fabrications are typically designed to protect the liar, although some of the other types of lies can do that same thing. An example of a fabrication would be if somebody told a story about how they went on a vacation to an exotic place, even though they never went at all, right? So the whole thing's just made up. Usually the most interest in the area of research is in this fabrication type of lie, as opposed to the other types of lies I talked about. So we can think of the liar as the sender. And every time the sender lies, there's going to be a receiver. Someone's proficiency at lying, as well as their frequency, may vary based on who they're lying to. We know that people tend to lie more to casual acquaintances as opposed to people with whom they are close. Every time a person lies, there's also going to be a medium. There's going to be a way that they transfer that untruth. For example, some liars prefer to send messages online as opposed to face-to-face -face conversations or talking over the phone. And this brings us to strategy. Liars also tend to use a variety of techniques. For example, not communicating too much information, saying only what somebody needs to say and not adding a lot of extra material, staying close to the truth, so only deviating a little bit from the truth when crafting the lie, and embellishing stories with unverifiable information, so making it so somebody really can't falsify their narrative. So we see this one particular study was published that really looked to explore the areas that I just talked about. Now I'll put the references to all the articles I used in the description for this video. But talking about this one study, we see they sampled 194 participants to get an idea about sender strategies, the types of lies told, the frequency of lies, and other information. The participants told an average of 1.6 lies during the last 24 hours, but the six most prolific liars told about 38% of the lies. 39% of the participants reported that they didn't lie at all in the past 24 hours. Now we see higher reported self-deception ability was associated with telling more lies, and it predicted telling lies to friends and colleagues, but it did not predict telling lies to authority figures, employers, or family members. So again, we're talking about self-reported deception ability, people who are saying that they believe they're good at telling lies, that they're proficient at it. Now, the preferred medium of lying for those who thought themselves as effective at deception was face-to-face. -face. So that's a little surprising in one sense because there's always this concern about nonverbals being picked up in a face-to-face -face conversation. But either way, those that believe they were good at lying preferred face-to-face. -face. Now, looking at the strategies, we see certain strategies were much more frequently used than others. The most frequently used was keeping the statement clear and simple. About 18% of the participants did this. Then we see telling a plausible story, being vague about details, embedding a lie into an otherwise truthful story. And by the time we get down to a complete fabrication, we're looking at about 7% of the participants, again, who told this type of lie in the past 24 hours. So what are the characteristics of these self-reported good liars? 
they tend to tell less severe lies. They mostly rely on three strategies, keeping the statement clear, simple, and possible, embedding the lies into truthful stories, and providing unverifiable details. They also typically lie face-to-face, as I mentioned, and they tend to lie to colleagues, friends, and romantic partners. In general, good liars seem to be careful who they lie to. Poor liars tended to lie to casual acquaintances and strangers. Poor liars were also more likely to rely on being intentionally vague as a lying strategy. Interestingly, both good and poor liars believed that their behavioral strategies were important to successful lying. So again, we see a lot of people buying into the idea that nonverbal communication is important in terms of detecting lies. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So what are my thoughts about how people become very good at lying? I think the people who are most effective at lying believe their own lies, right? Self-deception. This is a key feature of narcissism. I also think that people are more effective in lying when they need their lies to be true. Again, something associated with narcissism. Practice tends to help people to be effective at lying. One of the findings we see in the research is that individuals who practice a lot at lying notice their lies less. So in some cases, they may not even notice they're lying at all. We see that effective liars tend to tell the same lie repeatedly. For example, if somebody has a lie about how they did something heroic, they might tell that exact same narrative over and over. Again, they get the benefit of practice and the benefit of memorizing that story. They're not making it up as they go. They have a narrative already set that they simply need to recall in the same manner over and over. Also, some people are good at feigning the appropriate feeling during a lie. For example, looking sad while telling an untrue, depressing story. So acting experience may play a role here as well. So how can somebody tell if somebody else is a liar? Well, if somebody's trying to evaluate a specific lie, this is actually very difficult. I'm not convinced there's any valid method to detect lies simply by talking to somebody. There are some ideas, however, that we see in the research. We see this idea that words and phrases that leave options open are connected to lying, like using the words may or might or the phrases I think so or if I remember correctly. So the idea here is that the individual is keeping their options open. So if they get caught in a lie, they can pivot and get away from that. Another area we see a lot of research in is body language. Body language is essentially useless for detecting lies. There are so many mixed findings in the research, it's hard to know what the reality is. Gaze aversion is a popular type of body language that we see talked about. This idea that if you're talking to somebody and they look away, they must be lying, or this indicates deception. 
As it turns out, the research on this area is fairly definitive. Gaze aversion has nothing to do with lying because there is no physiological profile to lying. So we wouldn't expect some sort of stable response when somebody lies. Another area really related to body language is the idea of the microexpression. So this isn't really body language in the same way. These are very quick muscle movements in somebody's face, like something that would take a fraction of a second that in theory can indicate deception. Now, I think this area is more hopeful in terms of lie detection, but there are a few problems. We see inconsistent findings, so nobody can be really sure about what types of microexpressions are tied to deception. And we also see it's very difficult to detect these microexpressions even when you're intently looking for them. Another method we see talked about is the baseline method, right? So the idea is you talk to somebody about things where you know they're telling the truth, kind of like we see in a polygraph, which is also nonsense. They don't work either. But either way, I won't get started on that. Either way, so you're talking to somebody and they're saying things that you have no reason to believe are untruthful. And in theory, you can get their baseline from this. Like, okay, I can see how they're behaving when I believe they're telling the truth. So then if they start lying, you can see some sort of deviation from that baseline behavior. The difficulty here is that there are many reasons to deviate from baseline other than lying. Also, pathological liars lie all the time. So their baseline behavior is the same as their lying behavior. So an interesting theory, but it's just not supported by the research. Does anything reliably help with lie detection? I've talked about a lot of areas I think have failed in terms of detecting lies, but what about something that would really work? Well, I think you really need to understand the context, you need to understand the person, and I'll talk about that in a moment, like the personality. You could also look for low probability or impossible events. Like if somebody is claiming that they did something that's impossible, that's a good indication that they're lying. Or if the probability is extremely low, that could be as well. Although sometimes people tell stories about low probability events, right? That's why they tell the story in the first place, because it was unlikely to happen to a person, right? So it's special to them. Another area would be inconsistency. This is probably the best method. If somebody delivers a narrative and then they deliver it again and it's different, or if their narrative is inconsistent with what you know happened, those are pretty good indicators. We see this idea around this method of repeating the story. So if somebody tells you a narrative, you ask them to say it again, and you may not say why. So that's kind of suggesting that you didn't hear or didn't understand, which of course gets into an ethical issue depending on the profession that's using this method. But that's still one area that some people could use, asking somebody to repeat the story and seeing if it's the same. That's really tied in with the inconsistency idea I talked about before. And then we see this idea of asking somebody to tell the story in reverse. This can actually be somewhat helpful for detecting lies, but of course, now you're clearly looking for a lie. So now the person is going to be on guard. They know that you're looking to detect deception. Another method for detecting a specific lie, like in a situation where you don't really know somebody, would be asking for more detail. So this might not help in that moment, but it can help later on with the inconsistency method. So really getting them to lock into a narrative with a lot of details and then checking in later. So really getting a good story for comparison. Now, in a more general sense, so not so much can I detect a lie, but can I detect the liar? Well, a history of lying is an indication that somebody is being untruthful in the moment. If we see a pattern of unlikely events, 
So I talked about this a little bit before. These low probability events might have somebody questioning that there's deception going on. But if you see a pattern of them, like if there's less than a one in 1,000 chance that something could happen to somebody, and they have that happening 10 or 15 times, like over a period of time when you know them, that gets into the area of almost impossible, right? So again, if you see a pattern of low probability events, and then of course we have personality, and that was one of the questions I was asked. What is the personality of someone who lies and who can detect lies? So I'll answer this question by looking at the five-factor model, but first I'll take a quick look at the dark triad traits. These are subclinical manifestations of psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. We see the dark triad traits do have a connection to lying. Psychopathy and Machiavellianism are associated with telling more lies. Psychopathy is associated with telling lies for no reason. This is often called pathological lying. So somebody's lying, but there doesn't seem to be any clear gain for them. Machiavellianism is associated with telling white lies, and narcissism is associated with lying for self-gain and a self-reported skill at lying. So narcissists believe they're more effective at lying than other people. So now taking a look at this from the perspective of the five-factor model of personality theory. I remember the five traits through the acronym OCEAN. Openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And here we see an interesting study, and again, the reference will be in the description for this video, that looks at four tendencies related to the five-factor model when it comes to lying. The tendency to tell lies, the tendency to detect lies, the tendency to tell the truth convincingly. Now, this isn't talked about much. Some people look like they're lying even when they're telling the truth. So this is an interesting area. And the last tendency is the tendency to believe lies. So in terms of the tendency to tell lies, the personality profile associated with that behavior is high openness to experience, low conscientiousness, high extroversion, low agreeableness, and low neuroticism. One of the theories around the high extroversion is that extroverts have more opportunities to socialize, therefore more opportunities to tell lies, and they learn more about social interactions because of that experience. In terms of detecting lies, the personality profile associated with this is high openness to experience, high extroversion, low agreeableness, and we see it's unrelated to conscientiousness and neuroticism. So really not that different from the profile for telling lies, which is interesting. In terms of telling the truth convincingly, we see high extroversion, low agreeableness, and this is unrelated to openness to experience, conscientiousness, and neuroticism. And then in terms of believing lies, we see only high agreeableness. We see it's not related to any of the other traits. So what really stands out here is that agreeableness is an important factor in all four of the tendencies, and extroversion is important for three of them. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breidigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media.
This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.